0: You know, we sang that that old song uh, during the worship service. Jesus knows all about our struggles. He will guide till the day is done. There's not a friend like the lowly Jesus. No, not one. No, not one. And that that really is so true. You know, when you look at scripture, you look at the promises of God. That's exactly how God's described. Um, I was praying about what the Lord would have me to share tonight. And... um, I think it was a Sunday or two ago, the Lord had, had just put on my heart um, the passage out of Joshua chapter one. And as I read and shared it and just in the days following, I was just meditating on it and, um, and we'll, we'll read it in just a second. Uh, but just asking the Lord, what does it really mean to be strong and courageous? Many times I don't feel strong and courageous. Many times I don't feel victorious Many times I don't feel like my prayers are being answered. And why is that? You know, I think a lot of times when we struggle through things, uh, we just want to think in our mind, how are we going to solve the, the problem or the issue? Or we just think in our mind, why aren't my prayers being answered? Why am I struggling with this? And we can just get in our mind so much, or we can try to go to other people for advice. We can look at book read books and things like that to try to find answers but do you know where God wants you to go he wants you to go to him in prayer and he wants you to go to his word his word shows who God is his word shows what God desires from us what God requires from us you know God's word is full of encouragement it's full of warnings it's full of cautions it, it also has corrections in our life, right? And so when we go, when we go to the Word of God, He really does answer us. It, we really have to go to Him in, in faith. One of the first things I want to talk about is we know that the strength to overcome these problems, these struggles, is not going to come from ourselves, right? If you turn with me to Psalms, let's, let's go to Psalms chapter 18. And we're going to read verses 31 to 33. Psalm 18, 31 to 33. It says, For who is God, save the Lord? Or who is a rock, save our God? It is God that girdeth me with strength and maketh my way perfect. He maketh my feet like hinds feet and setteth me upon high places. Let me just read this out of Isaiah. You all are probably very familiar with the scripture Isaiah chapter 40, starting verse 29, it says, He giveth power to the faint, and to them that have no might, he increases strength. Even the youth shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. You know, we may feel defeated, faint, tired, tired. Lonely, maybe even abandoned. And then we wonder, why don't we feel strong and courageous like God commands Joshua to be in Joshua one? Why is that? You know, instead, instead, we often feel anxious. We feel worried. We feel feeble. We feel weighed down. Matthew 7, 7 says, Ask, and this is Jesus speaking, Ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. Amen. And so Jesus is saying, if we seek him, if we ask, if we knock, he's going to answer. Amen. And so have that in your mind as we're, we're going through these verses. And I kind of broke this down into sort of four questions I asked myself. Four questions that you may be asking yourself. And then four instances where God, I believe, gives an answer and gives an instruction. But before I do that, I want to turn to Joshua, what I've been referencing to. If I could turn with me to Joshua chapter one. Joshua chapter one, as you're turning there, if you're not familiar with the story of Joshua and what came about, God had used Moses to take the Israelites out of slavery from Egypt. And Moses took the, the Israelites out of Egypt and they had to cross a wilderness God had them there for 40 years. Uh, They rebelled against God. God used those 40 years where he gave instructions about the law, about the Ten Commandments. And then towards the end of Moses' life, God ends up telling Moses, you will not bring the children into the land of Israel. I'm going to appoint Joshua to do that. And so the mantle, so, you know, describe it that way. The mantle is kind of passed to Joshua. And now it's up to Joshua to bring the people into the land. And so God knows that there's probably anxieties that Joshua has, intimidation that Joshua has. He's been following this very great man of God and now God is having him lead, okay? God is mindful of our condition. God knows the encouragement that we need, amen? So if y'all with read with me, chapter one, verse two, it says, Moses, my sermon is dead. This is the Lord speaking. Now therefore arise, Go over this Jordan, thou, and all this people, unto the land which I do give to them, even to the children of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot shall tread upon that I have given unto you, as I said unto Moses. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, even unto the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, and unto the great sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your coast. There shall not any man... Be able to stand before thee all the days of thy life, as I was with Moses, so I 'll be with thee. I will not fail thee, nor forsake thee. right That psalm kind of referenced that psalm right Be strong and of good courage, for unto this people shalt thou divide for an inheritance the land which I swear unto the fathers to give them, Only be thou strong and very courageous that thou mayest observe to do according. To all the law, which Moses, my servant, commanded thee. Okay, this is referencing everything that God had commanded Moses, right? To give to the people. Turn not from it to the right hand or to the left, that thou mayest prosper with whithsoever thou goest. This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous and thou shalt have good success. And so if you look at verse 8, God is encouraging Joshua, be strong, be courageous, be strong, be courageous. And what does God say in verse 8? There's a condition to it. God says, I've given you my word. I've given you my commandments. Observe to do not part of it, not small portions of it, to do all of it, okay? And then he says, don't turn to the right and don't turn to the left, but continue on in that word, okay? Right? And then he says, observe to do according all that's written therein. So he's repeating several times the importance of following everything that God had told him to do. And at the very end, it says, for then thou shalt make thy way prosperous and thou shalt have good success right and he talks about meditating on it day and night um and to observe everything that's written in there meditating on it day and night not sometimes not every once in a while but day and night he says to meditate on it and then verse 9 it says have i not comm- have i not commanded thee be strong and of good courage be not afraid neither be thou dismayed for the lord thy God is with thee, whatsoever thou goest. And so God's telling him, I'm going to be with you everywhere you go. I've warned you, I've given you instructions, but I'm never going to forsake you. I'm never going to forsake you. And so as you continue on in the book of Joshua, I don't know how familiar you are with the story of Jericho. Jericho was the first big city that the Israelites were going to defeat. And there's kind of a real strange thing where God has them march around the city several times, and then finally the walls fall down, and God gives them this great victory over one of the most fortified cities um, that they're going to encounter. And think about it, it's the first major one that they're encountering, all right? And so I'm sure the people are encouraged, they're excited, God's given them this great victory, right? And so as you read through the rest of Joshua, do, do they have a, an undefeated record, uh, the Israelites? No, they don't. Something something tragic happens and something that kind of takes them takes Joshua by great surprise. If y'all can turn with me to Joshua chapter 7. And we're going to start in verse 1. And as you're turning there, this is sort of the the first question I would ask. Why didn't God give the victory? Why hasn't God given me the victory in my life? God's word is saying, and God, God commands us to turn over the accursed thing out of our lives, So he can sanctify. Take that accursed thing out so he can sanctify. Starting in verse one, it says, but the children of Israel committed a trespass in the accursed thing for Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah and of the tribe of Judah took of the accursed thing and the anger of the Lord was kindled against the children of Israel. And the men of Ai smote of them about thirty and six men, for they chased them from before the gate, even into Shepherim, and smote them in the going down, wherefore the hearts of the people were afraid. And it goes on, uh, if we could skip down to verse seven. Joshua said, Alas, O Lord, wherefore hast thou at all brought this people over Jordan to deliver us into the hand of the Amorites to destroy us? Would to God we had been content and dwelt on the other side of Jordan. And then skip to verse 10. And the Lord said unto Joshua, Get thee up. Wherefore lies thou upon thy face? Israel hath sinned. And they have also transgressed my covenant, which I commanded them. For they have taken of the accursed thing and have also stolen and dissembled also. And they have put it even among their own stuff. Therefore, the children of Israel could not stand before their enemies, but turn their backs before their enemies, because they were accursed. Neither will I be with you any more, except ye destroy their cursed from among you. Up, sanctify the people, and say, Sanctify yourselves against tomorrow. For thus saith the Lord God of Israel There is an accursed thing in the midst of thee, O Israel. And this is the real key part thou canst not stand before thine enemies until ye take away their cursed thing from among you. And so if you, we don't have time to go into it, but I was supposed to be this really easy victory, you know, kind of in terms of sports, this was supposed to be a, a really not strong team, okay? They should have, they didn't even have that many people that they were going to send against them. And, and ironically, this small city that was supposed to be so easy Israel is fleeing. And you can just imagine Joshua being devastated, you know, and then he's very honest before God. And this is something real important to learn in our relationship with God, that God wants us to be honest with him about how we're feeling and to ask him, God, I'm confused. So Joshua is very honest with God and he says, God, I can't understand why you allowed us to be defeated. Why did you take us through the Jordan? Why did you allow all this to happen? For us to lose. And so what does God tell him? He says stand up. There's a reason why. Israel has disobeyed me. And they take in of an accursed thing. And we're not going to. We don't have time to go into the details of it. But there was a man Achan. Who's mentioned at the beginning. And he takes a. It says a goodly Babylonian garment. 200 shekels of silver a wedge of gold, and it says that he coveted, the Bible says that he coveted after those things, okay? And so you think about it, what's the big deal about a garment? What's the big deal about taking money, right? He probably thought, hey, you know, maybe even sort of reason it within himself, God's blessed me with this thing, and he takes it. But God had very specifically told Israel not to take of those things because they were accursed, Meaning they belonged to a people that worshipped idols, that disobeyed God, and God had considered those things, even though they were treasures, he considered them an accursed thing. Now, how do I apply that to me as a Christian? How do I apply that to me in my walk with the Lord? I'm not going to tell you specifically what may be an accursed thing in your life. But I would encourage you to ask the Lord, if you don't feel like you're having victory in your Christian life, is there an accursed thing that you've taken and put among your stuff, like the Bible says here, with, of the Israelites? Is there something that God has convicted you about that is not right, that's sinful, and you're holding on to it? And maybe you kind of put it in the background and you almost forget about it. And then you're moving forward and then you don't feel like you're having the victory and you're actually feeling a lot of spiritual defeat. What is God saying to us in this passage? Examine your heart, examine your life. Is there something accursed in my heart, in my life, that God is asking me to put away and be sanctified? Okay, sanctified means to be set apart. Okay. And so what happens? What happens later? Okay, so uh, Joshua and the Israelites obey God. They end up finding Achan. Achan is punished and he's condemned to death, basically, or essentially. And they take that accursed thing and take it away from amongst the camp. Okay, and so what happens in the next chapter? If you want to go to chapter eight. The Lord said unto Joshua, fear not, neither be thou dismayed. Referencing back to being strong and courageous. Take all the people of war with thee. Arise. Go up to Ai. Ai. However you say that. <laughs> See, I have given into thy hand the king of Ai and his people and his city and his land. And thou shalt do to Ai and her king as thou did unto Jericho and her king. And so Joshua and the people end up going to Ai and end up having a great victory. Okay. Y'all, what we fight in our life as Christians is not physical. It wasn't so much the garment as a physical thing. What we battle as Christians is spiritual it's darkness, it's sin, it's things that offend God, okay? Um, Go with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. And I'm sure many of you are familiar with this passage. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. This is Paul speaking to the, the church at Corinth, starting in verse 3. It says, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the war- weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalted itself against the knowledge of God, and bringing into captivity every thought. To the obedience of Christ. And so what is Paul exhorting the Christians to do? That there's a spiritual battle and a spiritual warfare that we go through as Christians. Okay. And our weapons are not our mind. Our weapons are not our hands. Okay. Our weapons are spiritual. We don't war against flesh. Uh, We war against spiritual things. Um. And casting down imaginations, everything that exalted. So it's kind of, you see sort of the parallel, the similarity to casting out that accursed thing, okay? Taking into, taking into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Our mind may wander. And what does the word of God say? To take it captive to the obedience of Christ. Amen. Let me go to the next question just so we, for the sake of time. Next question. Why do I feel God is not pleased with what I give to him? So you may be serving God, you feel like you're doing so many, you feel like you are trying to do so many things for God, but you feel in your heart that God's not satisfied with it, okay? You feel like there's a space between you and God and things that you are doing for him, okay? Um, Y'all turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 15. I'm going to try to go through this as quickly as I can. And as you're turning there, I kind of set the context. So Saul is the first king of Israel. And God had called Saul out of out of nothing. Basically, Saul was a very timid man. He was a very scared man. When God had anointed him to be king, he was hiding. They said he was kind of hiding behind things. Um, He was very scared, very timid. And then God used him in his humility to bring Israel great victories in battle. And so he served as king for a couple years, several years. And God ends up commanding Saul to go to uh, Agag and to destroy all of Agag and not to take anything of what was to be destroyed. Don't take anything of it. And again, I'm kind of glossing over this very quickly for the sake of time. Um, And go to to verse 9 in in 1 Samuel chapter 15. And so what's happened up to then, Saul ends up disobeying God. And he ends up taking of some of the best things of Agag. He ends up sparing the king. And Samuel, who's the great prophet of God, ends up coming to Saul, okay? And starting verse 9, it says, But Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep and of the oxen and of the fatlings and the lambs and all that was good and would not utterly destroy them. But everything that was vile and refuse That they destroyed utterly. Skip down to verse 13. And Samuel came to Saul and Saul said unto him, Blessed be thou of the Lord, I have performed the commandment of God. Let me stop right there. Saul is telling the man of God, I've done everything God's commanded me to do. Okay. Verse 13. And Samuel said, what meanest then this bleeding of the sheep in mine ears and the lowing of the oxen which I hear? Skip down to verse 17. And Samuel said, When thou wast little in thine own sight, was thou not made the head of the tribes of Israel, and the Lord anointed thee king over Israel? And the Lord sent thee on a journey and said, Go and utterly destroy the sinners, the Malachites, and fight against them until they be consumed. Wherefore then didst thou not obey the voice of the Lord? But didst fly upon the spoil and didst evil in the sight of the Lord. Look at how Saul responds in the next verse. And Saul said unto Samuel, Yea, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord and have gone the way which the Lord sent me. And I have brought Agag, the king of Amalek. And so the Amalekites were who were there to destroy and have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. But the people took of the spoil, sheep, and oxen, the chief of the things which should have been utterly destroyed, to sacrifice unto the Lord thy God in Gigal. So, what is he saying? Well, I've done it, it's sort of the people that did it. Okay, so he's trying to shift blame, even though God has placed him as the leader. Verse 22 And Samuel said, Hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifice as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, To obey is better than sacrifice and to hearken than the fat of rams. Look at verse 23. It's very key. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft and stubbornness as is as iniquity and idolatry. Let me stop right there. God is comparing rebelling, disobeying against God as witchcraft. You think of witchcraft as being a really, really obvious bad sin, right? And. God speaking through Samuel saying it's the same thing to me rebellion and stubbornness is as iniquity is as iniquity and idolatry stubbornness, meaning God's told you to do something and you're refusing to do it. And he goes on to say in verse 23, because thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected thee from being king. And Samuel said unto Saul, I will not return with thee, for thou hast rejected the word of the Lord. And the Lord hath rejected thee from being king over Israel. And Samuel turned about to go away, and laid hold upon the skirt of his mantle, and it rent. And Samuel said unto him, The Lord hath rent the kingdom of Israel from thee this day, and hath given it to a neighbor of thine that is better than thou. And also the strength of Israel, this is strength of Israel being capitalized. And remember with the verses that we read at the very beginning, who is the strength, God's the strength. God's the strength of Israel to begin with. It's not Saul. And also the strength of Israel would not lie nor repent, for he is not a man that he should repent, meaning changing his mind. Verse 30, then he said, I have sinned, yet honor me now, I pray thee, before the elders of my people and before Israel, and turn again with me that I may worship the Lord thy God. Let me stop right there. So it seems like Saul is repenting, right? But if you look at godly repentance in the Bible, other men that, that humble themselves, actually um, got on their knees, sackcloth, there's, a, there's an outward showing, but more importantly, an inward showing to God of a repentance. But what does Paul say? Uh, what does Saul say? He says, I've sinned, and then what's the very next thing that he says? Yet honor me now. Man of God, honor me now. I've sinned, but honor me now. And what does he say? He says, "Do it before the elders of my people. Do it before all the people." So, so basically, what is he saying? Hey, kind of try to make me look good and not so bad, okay? And you know, I would ask myself, I would ask myself this question: Maybe when God has convicted me about something. A lot of times I kind of want the preacher or want someone of God to make me feel good about where I am. And maybe I'm so concerned about how I look in front of other people that I kind of want them to make me not look so bad. And let me stop you and say it's not about how other people see you. It's not about how you see me. It's about how God sees me. Do you see how he was so worried about the people seeing him instead of worried about how God saw him? What other people may think of me, or how people may see my Christian life, may may very well bring shame to the gospel, and that's a bad thing. But the most important thing I should worry about is how does God see me? How does God see me in the things I offer Him? And Samuel laid it out very clearly to Saul, you've disobeyed what God has told you. And more importantly, you're so worried about offering these sacrifices That to God, the most important thing to him is not things that we can do to him, for him, or offerings we can give to him. The most important thing God wants is obedience to him. Jesus says in the New Testament, if you love me, you will obey my commandments. Our expression of love, the most accurate expression of love the Bible shows us, especially in the New Testament, straight out of Jesus' mouth, is how we obey the Lord. Now, I've talked at the beginning that God gives us the strength to obey, but that strength requires a walking. It requires a stepping in faith to do it, even when it's very hard. Saul felt the pressure of the people to get the really good things. And what did he do? He succumbed to the pressure of the people instead of obeying God. Let me, let's jump to the New Testament, and there's a, another example of this. If y'all can turn with me to Acts chapter 5 and we're going to read verses 1 to 4 This is the church an account of the church very relatively the church relatively young and there's something that occurs there's a couple that are holding back from God God's given them this property and they're holding back part of it okay starting in verse 1 it says but a certain man named Ananias with Sapphira his wife sold the possession And he kept back part of the proceeds, his wife also being aware of it and brought a certain part of it and laid it at the apostle's feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the price of the land for yourself? While it remained, was it not your own? And after it was sold, was it not in your own control? Why have you conceived this thing in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. And if you go on later on in the passage, Ananias falls dead right afterwards, like almost instantly. Ananias falls dead, and Sapphira comes and she says, basically misrepresents what's happened to the apostles as well, and she ends up dying. Now, this is this is clearly a very um, severe punishment that comes. And I'm not in God's place to say how severe it should or should not have been. But God, in this particular situation, executed a very harsh judgment on these people for lying to him. We know that God can forgive when we confess. We know that God's mercy is there. His grace is there. But in this particular situation, God's judgment caused these people to die. And so what is this? Why is this passage here? It's a warning to me not to lie to God about something that God already knows, not to lie to God and not to obey him partially. OK, and people reason so many things in, in, so many things we can reason things in our mind. Well, if I just obey part of it or I just say kind of half of what God wants me to say, you know, then it's going to be all right. And it's not. God wants complete obedience and there are very bad consequences when we don't obey God completely. Uh, next question I kind of just posed. This is the third out of the four questions. Why won't he grant the blessing I've been seeking? You know, a quote, a quote um, out of Matthew 7 where Jesus says, Asking shall receive, I'm asking God and I'm not receiving. Why? Again, let's turn to the word of God for the answers, amen? If y'all can turn with me to Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 1. And I believe what the Lord's showing us in this passage is that God is asking you to give the precious things to him. God is asking you to give the precious things in your life to him. Just to put into context this passage, um, Hannah was the wife of a very godly man. She was uh, tormented for a long time for not being blessed with a child, okay? And she just came to a very, very desperate place in her life. We're going to start up in verse 5 of that first chapter. It says, but unto Hannah, this is speaking of Hannah's husband, he gave a worthy portion, for he loved Hannah, but the Lord had shut up her womb. And her adversary also provoked her sore for to make her fret because the Lord had shut up her womb. How many of y'all have been provoked or mocked by the enemy? Maybe even your mind, maybe even just audibly, the enemy just mocking, provoking. Verse 7 And as he did so year by year, she went up to the house of the Lord so she provoked her therefore she wept and did not eat so she went up to God and you can imagine she's going up to the temple or I think it's a tabernacle here going up to the tabernacle year by year she's going to the house of God and she's asking God to bless her with a child and the word of God says very specifically that God had shut up her womb and the enemy the other woman is saying is mocking her look you go to God and you ask God and you don't have any children okay And verse seven basically says she broke down. She wept and she cried. Verse nine. So Hannah rose up after they had eaten in Shiloh and after they had drunk. Now Eli the priest sat upon a seat by a post of the temple of the Lord. And she was in bitterness of soul and prayed unto the Lord and wept sore. She is broken before God, completely broken. And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if thou wilt indeed look on the affliction of thine handmaid, and remember me, and not forget thine handmaid, but will give unto thine handmaid a man child, then I will give him unto the Lord all the days of his life, and there shall no razor come upon his head. Skip down to verse 25. God ends up blessing her with a child. And this is them coming, jump into verse 25. This is an account of them coming back to, to God's house. And they slew a bullock and brought the child to Eli. And she said, O my Lord, as thy soul liveth, my Lord, I am the woman that stood by thee here, praying unto the Lord. For this child I prayed, and the Lord hath given me my petition, which I asked of him. Therefore also I have lent him, given him to the Lord, As long as he liveth, he shall be lent to the Lord, and he worshiped the Lord there. What do we see in this account? God sometimes has to bring us to a very broken, humbled time in our life for him to come and answer. And what does he do to Hannah here? What does he allow Hannah to come to a point? Hannah comes to such a broken point And then you see the true desires of her heart come out. She says, can you bless me with a child, a son, so I can give him to you to serve? How many times do we ask for things just for our own benefit? I do all the time. How many times, and I believe here, this is a question that we ask ourselves. Maybe God is withholding something very dear, because she really wanted a son, okay? And for you, it can be something else. For you, it can be something with your career. It can be something else. I'm not saying specifically for a child. But in this particular account, it was for a child. God had withdrawn her wound and he wanted her very broken, very humbled and very desperate to the point where, God, I don't even want it for myself now. I want, I want to be able to give something to you. And what does she do? That vow that she gave, not only does she say it, you see she physically comes after the child is weaned, okay? Some accounts feel he's probably about eight or nine years old, and she gives him to this priest, Eli, for him to serve in the house of God. And guess what happens afterwards? After she gives Samuel to Eli, God blesses her with children afterwards, okay? And we don't have time to go into the details about it. But if you compare this account, if you compare Hannah to Eli, Eli was the priest. He had two sons. God had given him two sons. And those two sons mocked and disobeyed God. And Eli, instead of taking his sons and correcting them, putting God above his sons, Eli ended up putting his sons above God. And Samuel ends up being used. Samuel the son of Hannah. Ends up being used by God. In a great great way. He ends up being a judge of Israel. Um, People respect his authority. His testimony. And he ends up anointing Saul. And then more importantly. He ends up anointing King David. To be king. Let me get to this last question. Okay, Why does. God seem asleep in the midst of my storm? Why does it seem that God's so quiet when something really bad is happening? Okay? How many of you maybe you feel like really bad things are happening and you're you feel like God's not doing anything? You feel like God's not saying anything? And in the passage we're about to see... I believe the biblical answer is God is trying to grow your faith. God is trying to grow your faith. Let's go to that passage. Mark chapter 4. And we're finishing up. Mark chapter 4. Starting in verse 31. And this maybe is an odd place to start in the chapter. This is Jesus and Jesus would teach. He's speaking to all the people and he's speaking not only to all the people, but his disciples are hearing what Jesus is saying. Okay, and this is Jesus speaking to all all the multitudes, all the people. And he says, speaking about faith, what faith is like. Verse 34, it is like a grain of mustard seed. Mustard seed is really, really small, which when it is sown in the earth is less than all the seeds that be in the earth. But when it is sown, it groweth up and becometh greater than all herbs and shooteth out great branches so that the fowls of the air may lodge under the shadow of it. So what is the picture that Jesus is giving? Is that this seed is little, little, little faith. Very, very small. It's planted. And as time passes, that seed starts growing and growing and and it has branches. And it ends up being greater than any other herb. Okay. Skip down to verse 36. Jesus had just finished teaching. And they are traveling somewhere. Okay. They're getting in a boat. And they're going to the other side. I believe here. And, and Jesus is going to continue ministering. Jesus is the son of God. He is in a physical body. He experiences the same things that we do. So when we pray to Jesus about how tired we may be, Jesus felt being tired, okay? And we see it in this passage. Verse 36, and when he had sent away the multitude, they took him even as he was in the ship, and there were also with them other little ships. And there arose a great storm of wind, and the waves beat into the ship, so that it was now full, meaning water was getting into the boat. And he was in the hinder part of the ship. So Jesus is in the hinder part of the ship. Asleep on a pillow. Okay. Here's a storm. I don't know if you've ever been out in the water. I've been offshore fishing before. It's been a long time. When a storm comes and you're kind of in a smaller boat. It's kind of a scary thing. When the waves are just you know. And here it says the storm was big. And the water started getting into the boat. And so you can imagine the panic, you know, the people that are oaring, you know, the panic that's going on. And here's Jesus just sleeping, okay? How can, how can Jesus be sleeping, you know? And so what does it say here? It says, They wake him and say unto him, Master, carest thou not that we perish? Carest thou not that we perish? What are they telling Jesus? God, don't you care that I'm about to die? God, don't you care that this situation is really bad and it seems like you're not doing anything? Don't you care about me? Don't you care about the destruction that's about to come? What happens? Verse 30. He arose and he rebuked the wind and said unto the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. In an instant, God commands nature to stop and to be calm. He says, Peace, be still. The wind stopped and there was a great calm. Can you imagine seeing that? Can you imagine being in that boat, seeing Jesus just say it and it's done and you just kind of have your mouth open? Okay? Look at what he tells them because this is all done purposefully. God has a purpose in everything that happens in your life, God has a purpose. We may not understand it all, but God has a purpose in everything, even the most mundane things where you can't piece everything together. God has a purpose for every trial, every problem that you go through. It's how we respond to him that's really going to give us the victory. Verse 40, he said unto them, why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? He tells them, why are you so scared? Okay? Don't you have faith? And Jesus is almost basically saying, do you remember what I just said? Like right before we got in the boat <laughs> about faith being this little? If one of you would have just stopped instead of worrying, they're seeing Jesus is quiet and he's resting. Obviously we don't, we don't have that same relationship physically with him. But sometimes when we don't hear God doing anything and there's something really bad, to ha- bad about to happen, what are we supposed to do? We stop and pray, God, give me faith. This is too big for me. But I have faith that you can take care of it. It seems impossible. It seems really, really hard. But if I have faith this small, your word says that it's going to grow to be really big. And how's God going to do that? If everything in your life is just good, good. Hunky dory, I get everything I want, I don't have a worry in the world. How is your faith going to grow? Jesus gave that parable about the faith growing, but he was trying to teach them that the circumstances, the storms that come, come so that your faith can grow. Because what happens after this? If they're walking with God just like God told Joshua, walking, not turning to the right to the left. They're going to remember. I remember when Jesus had me in that storm. And he was asleep and it seemed like he wasn't doing anything. But then he got up and in an instant took care of it all. I remember when he did that. I don't know how he's going to do it today with this situation. But if I have faith as small as a mustard seed, I know that he's going to take care of it. And it may not be the way I think he's going to do it, but he's going to take care of it. He really will. Turn with me to Philippians chapter 4. We're going to finish up with this one and one more passage. Being strong and courageous in what everything that God has us to do. The way we'll be strong and courageous is the peace that God's going to give us. Okay? Philippians chapter 4. And we're going to start in verse 4. Philippians 4 verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say rejoice. Does it say rejoice. Only when there's no storms. Rejoice. Only when God gives you. What you've been asking for. What does it say. Rejoice always. And again. I say rejoice. So Paul's being a little repetitive there because he's emphasizing something. As Christians, it's not a fake rejoicing, but how do we rejoice? God, I'm discouraged, but I'm going to thank you. God, I don't understand, but I'm going to rejoice. God, I I feel like I'm lacking. I'm going to go to you, rejoice, and you're going to show me when there's something wrong in my heart. When I've been defeated... I'm going to go to you and pray. Let's keep reading. Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. Be careful for nothing. But in some things by prayer. What does it say? But in everything by prayer and supplication with murmuring. With complaining. What does it say? But in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your request be made known unto God. So what is he saying about letting your request be known unto God? When we are in great need, a lot of times we shut down. We are completely quiet. We stop praying. We stop reading. We stop going to church. We stop going to Bible studies. We stop going to whatever thing. Because we're depressed, we're down, we feel defeated, and we withdraw ourselves from God in a sense. Withdraw we'll draw ourselves from ways that God can speak to us. But Paul is encouraging. He says, don't do that. He says, let your requests be made known unto God. What did Joshua do? He went to God and he told him, God, I don't understand why you've caused us to be defeated. What did Hannah do? God, I'm going to give you what you're going to give to me. You see how people are talking with God? They're crying out to God, they're communicating with God instead of just shutting down and staying in their own mind. God says for us to make a request known to him. Verse seven, and the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ. How many of you know that our heart can be broken, our heart can be wayward? How many of you know that our minds can be very troubled, very sad, very worried, very depressed, very anxious. What does this scripture verse say? Lifting everything by prayer, letting my request be known unto God, the peace of God is then going to come and it's going to pass all understanding. What does that mean? Sometimes God's going to give you a peace when it seems like things are not solved. When it seems like things are not answered, God's going to come and he's going to he's going to give you a peace that passes all understanding, like all logic. And he's going to keep your heart and he's going to keep your mind. Verse eight. This is what we should do. We should practice. Finally, my brethren, whatsoever things are true. Word of God is true, right? His promises are true. Whatsoever things are honest, God's word is honest. Whatsoever things are just, God is just and how he does things are just. Whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report. If there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. Don't be consumed by your problem. Don't be consumed by the things that are weighing you down. It doesn't mean that we ignore them and act like nothing's happening. But what is the Word of God saying? Instead of being immersed in that, God is telling me, think on the things of God. Think on the Word of God. Think on the things that God has given you. And don't think in your own mind and the things that the enemy is putting into your mind. You know, a lot of things are things in our mind that we think. But many times, just like we says, our weapons are not carnal, are not flesh, but they're spiritual. The devil is whispering things in your mind, in your ear. God is not true. God is not faithful. God has abandoned you. God doesn't want to answer you. God has has left you alone to be where you are. Okay? So if I'm hearing that, what do I need to do? I need to go to the Word of God. I need to go, go to God and think on these things. God, this is happening, but your promises are true. This is impossible. But I know you can take care of it. And I know it's very easy for me just to stand here and tell you these things. It's very easy for me just to say it. It's another thing for me and for you to walk in it. We can hear the things of God. But it's another thing to walk out those doors and to obey God. But that's exactly what God wants us to do. And amen. He's not maybe going to answer it in the timing that you want. In the way that you want. But if I go to him. He's going to take care of it. And he's going to do it the best way. Amen. Let me finish up and close. Here in Psalms chapter 19. This will be our last passage. Psalms chapter 19. Verse 7. And this is speaking about the word of God. And those questions that I went through. Kind of reference back to this last passage. Psalm 19, starting in verse 7. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the symbol. How many of you feel very simple-minded? I do. God can make me wise. The statues of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. So meaning the things that God say are really going to rejoice your heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. God's going to cause your eyes to be open. You're going to see things spiritually that you didn't see before. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. What does that mean? There's a reverential awe and fear of God that my sin offends the Lord. Amen. And as I'm convicted, I confess it to God and repent. The fear of the Lord is clean and during forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold. Yea, than much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is thy servant warned. And in keeping of them, there is a great reward. Let me stop right there. So what is he saying? God in his word can warn me, can let me know like a flashing light hey, you're about to step into something that is not good. God's word can warn me, hey, you're obeying God, but only halfway. And if you only obey him halfway, you're not gonna get the victory that God wants you to have. God's word warns me, okay? And in keeping of them, there's a great reward. Meaning when I obey what God tells me, if I obey him all the way, there's a great reward that comes with that. Who can understand his errors? Cleanse thou me from secret faults. So what is that saying? Sometimes I I may not see something. I may not see something that is in my heart that is not right. But God's word is going to show me. And what does he say? It's cleanse thou me from secret fault. Asking God, God, I may not know something that is wrong, but please show me and clean me, wash me. Verse 13, we're almost finished. Keep back thy servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then shall I be upright, and thou shalt be innocent from the great transgression. Let me stop right there. So, what is he saying? God, I know I am weak. I know I can fall into sin. I know I can be tempted. Okay? Just like these men in the Bible were, I'm not anything special. I know I am weak. God, keep me from those things and don't let them have dominion or don't let them have a stronghold over me. Then I shall be upright, and I shall be innocent from the great transgression. Last verse. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight. O Lord, my strength and redeemer. Misty, you can come up. As we close tonight. I would encourage you, maybe I kind of, maybe you feel like I've kind of been all over the place. But those four topics that I've talked about that we went through in the scripture, if one of those, maybe some of them, maybe all of them have really touched you, have really caused you to think. I want to ask you tonight, go to the Lord in prayer. Ask the Lord, God, help me, help me to have the victory. Show me if I'm offering something to you that's not pleasing to you. Show me if there's something precious, very dear to me that you're asking me to give to you. And then finally, the fourth one. God, show me, help me to increase my faith. Because sometimes I feel like you're just sleeping and you're not seeing everything bad that's happening. Amen. And I'm I'm simplifying it. But I encourage you to do that. Lord, I thank you. God, that we can go to your word. I thank you, God, that we don't have to go to man. God, you have Christians and you have a church and you have pastors that lead us to you, Lord. But I thank you that we can go to your word. I thank you that we can pray. I thank you, God, that you can answer us. And Lord, I thank you, God, that there's clarity, just like we read in Psalms 19, God, that there are things that your word does, Lord. cleanses us, it warns us, Lord, it keeps us, Father. And I pray, God, I pray, help us, God, help us not to shut you out, help us not to shut you down. I pray, God, when we may be going through a great trial, help us to run to you. Help us to go to your word. Help us to pray when we don't feel like praying, God. And I just encourage you tonight to pray in your chair or come up to the, the front and, and spend some time in the altar and, and ask the Lord to speak to you. I ask the Lord, just like in Psalm 19, the psalmist ask, God, search my heart. See if there's any secret things in my heart that aren't right. See if there's an accursed thing, something that's keeping me from having victory, Lord. I pray, show me and help me to give it to you, Lord. It may be very hard to give to you, Lord, but help me to surrender it all to you. I thank you, Lord, that you bring a great peace that this world can understand, Lord. I, pr- I thank you, God, that you can make us strong and courageous in you, Lord. Help us to walk in it. Help us to be a people of faith. Help us to grow, Lord, as a church, individually, Lord, corporately, God. Help us to honor you, Lord. That's the desire of us, Lord, in this church, God, to grow in you, Lord. Help us to be strong. Help us to be bold. Help us to be courageous, God. Help us to do the battles, God, that you have us do, Lord. Give us the victory, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.